Dear Mr. Hammond. Dear Miss Smith. Dear Mr. Goldberg, thank you for your thank recent you for application, application to the role of assistant producer. We're currently reviewing all applications and we'll get, get back, back to you as soon as we can. You can browse other vacancies at blah, 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 Due to the high volume of applications, we're writing to inform you that unfortunately we won't be taking your application any further. Welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. We're about to launch our new series, but before we do, we have a special bonus podcast for you. Yes, this is a dual cast we recorded with Jobs Board. They're an excellent podcast by three journalism graduates, documenting what it's like looking for your first job during a pandemic yes so it's sort of a mashup of our two podcasts and we had a lot of fun making it we hope you enjoy this little extra treat before series three officially begins next week okay here we are the jobs board freelancing for journalists dual cast in what i believe is a world first in job hunting podcasts (laughs) Um, we're Jobs Board, uh, repping, and we're here today with the Freelancing for Journalists podcast. How are you doing, guys? Good, good. Hello. <laughs> yes, we're very well, thank you. I'm uh, one half of Freelancing for Journalists, and I'm Emma Wilkinson, and I specialise in health and medicine reporting. And I'm Lily Cantor, and I'm a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And together we are Freelancing for Journalists, which is a book, a podcast series, training resource, Facebook community, uh, newsletter, um, basically anything to do with freelancing. We're your people. Yeah, very impressive and diverse podcast portfolio there that we can only aspire to one day. Um, This episode, we are doing a freelancing special. Uh, Yeah, so we're here today to ask our questions and your questions to our freelancing uh, gurus on some top tips to make yourself a fully polished and employable freelance journalist. So the first topic we're going to get on to is branding. Yes, so all about trying to sell yourself, getting your, your, your foot in the door Uh, firstly and making sure it's consistent whether that's a portfolio website whether that's your LinkedIn or your CV these are all assets that you need to make sure are all looking shiny and and great for when when you're trying to look for freelancing so uh, Lily if we can first touch on uh, portfolio websites if we may what type of things have you seen in your experience that works well as a portfolio website Yes, I think the most important thing really is for um, anyone who wants to get into journalism is to actually have a website and a website where they own the domain name themselves, um, which is quite straightforward to get. It's not expensive. Um, And that could be a WordPress site, um, could pay a bit more and get um, something like Squarespace, obviously lots of platforms like Wix and Weebly. Um, There are also... Um, sort of portfolio platforms like um, Journo Portfolio, Clippings Me, 
um, all three. Um, some are paid, some are free. Um, and the most important thing, like I say, is to have some kind of website or portfolio where you are showcasing your work. It doesn't have to be something that's been um, published or broadcast by a professional media organisation. It can be work that you've done yourself or during your course, but it's just showing examples of your your style, um, you know, what your reporting style is like, what your writing style is like, examples of your work. It's really important, especially if you haven't got a lot of cuttings, um, that future employers or someone who wants to commission you can actually see what you can do. And the best place to do that is on a one-stop shop website. Um, quite often people rely on LinkedIn, um, but a lot of journalists are not that au fait with LinkedIn. <clears throat> That's why it's so important to have a website um, and, you know, that needs to have a bit about you, but the main thing is your work. That needs to be front and centre on the website. And how would you recommend structuring your display of your work? Would you do it around themes or whether it's just based on employer and how recent it is? How would you recommend laying that up? I think it's about giving prominence to, I think, the kind of most impressive piece of work. So if you... If you have had something published um, in the mainstream media, then that's going to be impressive. So that needs to be very clear. Um, but if you've, say, done something maybe on an unusual topic or something um, controversial that maybe you're quite you know, pleased with, um, then it's kind of making the most of that. The worst thing really is to have a load of posts that perhaps look like blog posts but actually they're your published work and we, we've seen some websites like that in the past where students have actually had stuff published in the Times and the Guardians but the way they've presented it on their website they just look like blog posts so if you do have stuff that you know is in the mainstream media then it's so important to flag that up on your website um really really clearly I think that's the most important thing. Uh, so in that instance that um, you recognise that this was a great piece of work but it looked like a blog post I'm, I'm presuming in this instance because the Times is behind a paywall that's because they've just simply copied and pasted it how would you recommend kind of displaying it a bit more that this was on the Times would you well, think taking a screenshot is that readability enough for someone well, looking on a website? Well, I think with this one, um, it didn't even say it was in the Times. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, it was only kind of when I went and looked in more detail that I, I kind of thought, I can't remember if I like Googled it or if it was like right down the bottom, but it wasn't, certainly it didn't say at the top. This they is my selling the themselves. Yeah, definitely. So the way I do it on my website is I have it separated into different sections. So I have my money, my health, my lifestyle, and I have reviews as different pages. And my, then my heading for each post will be, say, Metro, um, colon, and then the headline of the story, or Guardian, or Times, whatever it is. So it's very, very clear where these have been published. So it, it's as simple as just the headline that you give that post um, can really signal where that, particular work has has been published I think it's just simple things like that 
um, that you can do. And in terms of now you've got this great portfolio website, how would you demonstrate that work on something that's a bit more static, such as your, your CV? The key thing is to hyperlink your CV. So to have um, certain keywords hyperlink, so that could take you to your website, but also to specific pages or posts on your website. Um, and then that makes it very easy for an employer to just with one click look through to your website. That's probably the best way to do it. Because the one thing that you said that you've seen in your experiences when you were recruiting people, that people were putting down full URLs down on their CVs rather than just hyperlinking. Yeah, yeah, there was quite a lot of that. Um, or not putting in links at all. So sort of saying, you know, I've I've had work published in The Guardian and then not even giving me a headline or a link through to it. So that's a really missed opportunity. Um, and going back to your point before about paywalls, um, that is a tricky one. But I think even if you can click through to the paywall version and it's got your byline on it, you know, people will know that you have, you know, what you say is true. You have been published um, in that publication. Um, it's a little bit dodgy with screen grabs. Um there's all sorts of clamping down on that now and, and news organisations going after people. Um, so it's better to have links than screen grabs or PDFs because um, there is this organisation now whose job is to solely try and get money from people who um, basically use screen grabs or PDFs uh, on their website. I understand copyright and all of that. So yeah. my, my one last question then is in terms of branding is how do you make this all very cohesive on that when you're looking at um, a portfolio website or maybe your LinkedIn to a certain extent and your cover letter and CV, how do you all kind of make it all come together as if, yes, that's all from one person? This is this is the same person on the same platform or, and the same medium. Yeah, so the key thing is to have consistent messaging across um, all your presences online. So, you know, if you've got Twitter, LinkedIn, um, your website um, any other social media that you're using professionally um, use the same image of yourself so that people know that it's the same person that they're looking at use the same sort of wording in your profile um, make sure you're cross-linking between your Twitter and your website and your LinkedIn so that they're all interconnected you know use the same colors if you can use the same header images it's just having that kind of consistent branding. And by branding, we just mean you are the brand as, as a person, you and your name. So it's just making sure all of those different places where you are online match up and look the same. I mean, one thing that I would just say on websites is um, we often get students posting examples of their websites in our Facebook community. And quite often the homepage is a big all about me kind of thing and you have to click quite a few times to find examples of work you need to kind of switch that around and like Louis said put the examples of the work first because that's what editors are interested in yeah so I'm guessing they're all time poor and they they, they need a, a good excuse not to click the x button on their browser rather than go through right to their work yeah, yeah. you've got to make it really easy for them this is great. Right. Next up is Bryony has a couple of questions on finding some opportunities. Yes. Yeah, so you've, you've got to the stage where you've obviously created a portfolio. You've got your socials up and running. How do you then make the step to find 
opportunities within broadcast or, or newspapers or magazines, anything like that? Any top tips? Yeah, so there's there are lots of different ways that you can use to find freelance opportunities. There's no kind of one way of doing it. Um, you have to be on Twitter. Lots of commissioning editors will post on Twitter when they are looking for freelance shifts or when they are commissioning articles on a specific topic. Um, and obviously that's kind of really fast turnaround you need to be spotting those opportunities and um, use search terms to look for them actively you can set up uh kind of you know something like TweetDeck to do that and kind of have those lists um going so that you don't miss any of those opportunities that that go by and um, the same for freelance groups there are a lot of um journalism groups on Facebook and a lot of commissioning editors are on Facebook and so they will post in those journalism groups um you know that they are looking for uh shifts or they're looking for um opinion articles this week on a certain topic or they're looking to commission the next um issue of the magazine and the, you know these are the kind of things they're interested in or news stories it you know those kind of things come up all the time but you've got to be in those groups i've got a question from one of our listeners and it's about trying to get in the good books with the person that's going to give you the shifts. Okay. Hello, uh, my name is Raul Son, and my question is, when you're trying to get into the good books of an organisation um, for some freelance shifts, what are some generally good strategies? Um, what makes you their go-to guy or girl? Um, to be flexible and be reliable so if you say you're doing you're going to do a shift or do a piece of work that you do it and you've done it on time and you've met all the deadlines um to uh go above and beyond so problem solve if you come across kind of an issue or a problem find a solution um I know an editor who kind of tells me this all the time with kind of trainees that they have that they kind of give up if there's a new story they're working on um, they've been told to work on and it doesn't quite work out or they can't interview the person that they've been asked to that then that's it there's no kind of effort to try and find an alternative so if you can do that kind of problem solving go those extra steps and show that you you know you can deliver on what's been asked that's all that's all that any kind of editor is uh, or news desk or you know whoever it is you're working for that's all they're looking for they want to know that they can rely on you and that they don't have to hold your hand um, constantly and that you're going to kind of give what you've been asked to deliver yeah and I would say on that it's communication is key if if someone you know sends you an email asking you to do something you need to respond straight away <clears throat> um, and I, I think it's something that we've noticed with some people you know over, over the last year we've had different people doing work experience for us and the ones that stand out are the ones that, you know, respond. It's amazing how, you know, a week can go by after you've you've sent an email to someone asking them to do something and you don't hear anything. Um, you know, it's it's a fast-paced world, journalism. Um, so you need to respond quickly and, and you know, communicate quickly. Um, and as Emma says, it's about having that initiative as well not just kind of sitting there waiting to be told what to do um coming up with your own story ideas coming up with different people to interview if if your interviewees fall through um and just kind of 
showing that you've got a good new sense um, and you're not just kind of sitting there waiting for something to happen. Now, um, a lot of the work at the moment is work from home, which in some respects can mean that you can actually say yes to more opportunities because you're not having to travel um, back and forth to the place, especially if they're you know, not where you live. But the fact that you're working from home means that whoever the person is that is likely to give the shifts or the editor you're probably not unless you're having zoom calls probably not seeing their face so how do you know you might be doing an excellent job working really hard but how do you make yourself stick in their mind I think asking for feedback is really important and I I don't think people do it enough and I, I think that in itself um will make you stand out um because I think that that's quite an impressive thing to kind of say look you know can you tell me how I'm getting on um, and be prepared to kind of take criticism on board and <clears throat> and to act on any feedback that you're given? Um, and I think if you can kind of show that you're really keen to learn, you want feedback, you want to build on that feedback, um, that is going to make you stand out. And it's just doing a good job at the end of the day. If you are delivering good stories, you're delivering on time, you're communicating well, um, you're going to be remembered but if you're someone that kind of just sits back um, and kind of um, doesn't you know you're kind of not communicating well or, or not delivering those stories or waiting for things to happen then you're kind of going to get forgotten about so you you do need to be up there sort of in in people's faces and quite often these shifts will have um, some kind of central group where they communicate like a slack group so you know, you can be on the Slack group um, commenting on stuff that other people are doing, helping them out with perhaps um, something that you've seen that's relevant and linked to something, um, kind of joining in if there's a bit of office banter. Um, <laughs> so, you know, obviously not being that really irritating person that is kind of trying too hard, but kind of joining in, um, you know, as and when you kind of feel as appropriate. Yeah, kind of just being present, I think. Um, even on email, just, you know, as we mentioned before, just responding really quickly, you know, you'll get remembered for, for being on the ball. So don't be annoying, but be persistent. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fine exactly. line. It's, it's a fine line. <laughs> um, great. I would say there are some other ways um, in which you can find freelance work. Emma um, talked about a few of them. Um, the other things are a lot of newsletters out there now that are free to subscribe to and they actually have freelance listings um, journal resources have, has got one Sean Meads has got one um, there's one called write at home which is a paid for one but they have loads of listings on there um, for freelance opportunities they, they've got two newsletters a week so sign up to all of those as well. And don't be afraid to cold pitch to editors. If you've got an idea for a cracking story, um, then, you know, just pitch away. Yeah. And some freelance opportunities are kind of uh, advertised as jobs as well. So, you know, checking on LinkedIn and those usual sources. Yeah. In, yeah. Indeed. Media Beans, Media R, they quite often advertise for freelance shifts or even just regular freelance work. Another way that you can create opportunities for yourself is by pitching. So how does one approach pitching? 
Yeah, so pitching is a really good way of building up a portfolio, but there are, it is quite a fine art, I would say. Um, <laughs> so first of all, you need to find who you need to pitch to. And we, we talked earlier about um, editors putting calls for pitches out and, and also um, newsletters listing things. Um, or you can find editors details online which can take quite a bit of hunting down um but once you've identified a person who commissions content um you need to send them a pitch and a pitch is basically a summary of the story but in a way that is enticing for the editor so it will outline this is the story i'm proposing to put together um these are the people i'm going to interview these are the main um, hooks of the article, the main themes. Um, these are the experts. These are the case studies. And then a tiny little bit um, explaining who you are with perhaps some links to your work elsewhere. And it needs to be very brief. So we're talking really no more than three or four lines. Um, it oh, needs, wow. Yeah, they're short. They're really short. Unless it's, um, you know, a long read and then they expect you to do a very very detailed proposal but most pitches you know they're really really short um bullet points are fine to use as well um and your subject in in the email might be something like pitch colon and then a suggested headline um so yeah it's just really a way of introducing an idea to an editor and then if they're interested they'll come back to you um, and they may ask you for more information. Um, and then at that point, you can go into more detail. Um, and there are examples of pitches um, in various different places. Journal Resources have got examples on their website. And also they have a list of um, places that have pitching guidelines. So a lot of organisations now tell you exactly how they want you to pitch. But it's pretty much as I described. There's always... Um horror stories of you having this amazing idea you sending it off and then someone else stealing the idea from you have you had any experience of that and and to stop that happening do you think the real key to it is making yourself indispensable from that story so either you having access somewhere or a great um, case study that you've built a relationship with that they'll only sort of deal with you. Do you think that's the key to stopping that happening? Yeah, definitely. We get asked this a lot. And actually, I think it's very rare. It does happen. Um, I mean, but it's never happened to Emma or I. Um, and we know very few people that it's actually happened to. Um, but I think, yeah, like you say, there are ways and means of preventing it from happening. And the key thing is if you have got, a really good case study is you don't give their name away basically you don't in that pitch say you know their name and where they are so that it's easy to track them down um you can change their name or um describe them in another way um so yeah don't give away the finer detail but give enough information that it you know that it's still enticing and and that in that way they can't really steal your idea yeah, and if you've got photos and things, send the low-res version that they can't use, that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think the worry of that happening is more common than it actually happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing, which is a big no-no, 
um, is do not attach the written article. And I know it's really tempting if you've already written something or put something together at university to attach that. Um, but that just annoys editors so much um, because they want to work with you on the story and they want to develop you, develop it with you and, and they'll have their own input they want to put into it. So unless they specifically are looking for drafts, which occasionally happens, but otherwise it's just that brief pitch that they're looking for. Just before we move on, I had a question for you guys about pitching, uh, especially just about freelancing in general actually uh i'm somebody who likes to work a lot with other people and i don't really like to work by myself which i assume you do quite a lot of in freelance if you're responsible for your own branding and getting your own work and i uh often i can sort of get too in my own head and too worried and Bryony just made a point about being worried that people are going to steal your ideas from you etc what tips do you guys have to sort of deal with that and to have maybe more self-confidence in your own brand? Yeah, so I mean, this is something we get asked about a lot as well. We did actually do an episode of our podcast on imposter syndrome that turned out to be one of the most popular. I think we really kind of touched a nerve with that we're all just kind of sat at home um, panicking about if we're doing the right thing or, you know, if we're getting enough work or all that kind of stuff. I think there are a lot of freelancing communities out there there's our Facebook community, but there are others. There are kind of Slack groups. If you connect with other journalists and others kind of in the same boat as you, that's so, so helpful when you realise that it's not just you that's chasing this invoice or that you have sent 10 pitches this week and you haven't heard anything. And everybody else says, yeah, that's us too. And you realise it's totally normal. And you're not doing anything wrong. And um, Really, really great sources of you know advice and support and freelancers are actually all really supportive of each other you kind of might think that we're all competing against each other but that's not been my experience I've kind of passed on work to other freelancers they've done that to me so being part of those communities I think and not trying to and using that as a way to overcome that isolation is really you know important and we're kind of at the moment we're all working at home on our own so you do find those ways don't you you set up whatsapp groups and zooms and you find those other ways to connect with people and, and freelancing is just the same there's been a real shift in the last probably year or two all of these kind of communities have been sprouting up on facebook and slack and whatsapp um and there's a real kind of push to support one another particularly around pay but it's created this community where you know, people support each other when they have different dilemmas. I mean, I posted the other day on our group um, a sort of personal dilemma about some work I was doing and whether I should drop it or not. Um, and I, you know, loads of people responded straight away, giving kind of their support and their opinion. And it did actually help me to make a decision. So, yeah, it's it's very different from being in the newsroom, which it can be a lot more cutthroat actually and um, people sort of fighting for exclusives uh, I want to move it on and ask you know if you're an editor and you're select you know you get hundreds of messages suddenly on Twitter as soon as you've posted something what are the sort of three real sort of bugbears or things that really grind your gears about applications from freelancers and what can our listeners do to not make those mistakes if they have specified a certain way to get in touch with them and we are only looking for ideas on this, do that. If they said, don't contact me here, email me, do that. Because you'd be amazed how many people just ignore that bit. 
and do their own thing and you're immediately just going to get discounted. I think like Emma says it's about how you get in contact with people get in contact with them the way they ask so if they ask for you to email them email them don't direct message them get their name right I mean that's like number one kind of rule is make sure you spell their name right and make sure you proofread any um, communication with them Um, and yeah just give them the information that they want so if they've asked for a cv attach a cv if they've asked for a brief cover email or cover letter then make sure you do that it's amazing how how many people don't actually read the criteria um, and just kind of send what they want or they send um they send a message and it's for the wrong job you know that they, they obviously don't know what they're applying for um so d- I guess take your time and do your due diligence that you understand what is being asked of you and then just follow it through. I think that's what irritates editors the most is when they get stuff they haven't asked for or they don't get the things they have asked for. And um, flipping it around, what uh, what do you think are some things that make somebody say, you know, immediately say, yes, I'm really impressed by that and I want to take them on? I think people that are able to be succinct is really really helpful um if they can get to the point very quickly but at the same time can show that they've got the relevant expertise so that's where hyperlinking words can be really helpful so if they're describing an area of expertise and then they've can link through to examples where they've covered those particular stories before um in you know just a few sentences i think that's going to be impressive and things like the branding so just like having an email signature um that has your name links to your social links to your website um you know just looking professional I think that really helps as well I had to look at around 70 CVs for a internship a position that I was at I advertised for um there were a lot of people who made some of these really common mistakes they hadn't attached their cv they were applying for the wrong thing they waffled on and on in their um, cover email um they had spelling mistakes spelt my name wrong um you know and the 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 people that got shortlisted um had kind of got to the point they'd linked to work they clearly had a brand they you know their social media was impressive it was easy to click through to it's kind of matching up all those those different elements yeah I guess accessibility is a big thing if you can just immediately click on something and go oh yeah there's all their work and I can look at it in a matter of seconds yeah and if you're applying for a journalism position whether it's freelance or a job or whatever if they have to wade through loads of waffle in your email or cover letter to get to the point their, their immediate thought is, well, this person isn't good at journalism because it's kind of the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. You, you, you know, in that initial interaction with you, you need to be showing that skill, that journalistic skill of being able to get straight to the point and sum up exactly what you need to say. That's really interesting because I've always thought of it, I've always tried to strike a balance in a cover letter between getting to the point, as you say, but also wanting to stand out and not just saying, you know, I am a recently qualified journalist, blah, blah, blah. It just seems a bit samey. Um, have you have you ever, have you managed to sort of see any emails that really hit 
Yeah, but, I mean, the no. guy that I actually employed for my internship, his cover email um, had a bit of personality in it. So he, I was looking for someone who could work with me on, a, on an FOI investigation. And he had just included in there that a couple of um, investigations he'd done and how he was good with figures because he'd worked for I can't remember what it was but he worked for some company that did a lot of number crunching and that he was a bit of a geek around numbers Um, but he you know he put links into what he was referring to and he kind of made the point that he loves nothing better than sitting down with a spreadsheet yeah he had had a bit of personality in there but he had the relevant links and it it just made me think he's got a bit something about him um and again it's that fine line between coming across as kind of cocky um and you know Mm. mildly amusing um you've got to strike the right balance but (laughs) you know that's what what your friends are for you know good friends should be able to tell you whether you've got the balance right there okay we've got a another question from a listener so this time we've got a little feature we're calling listeners dilemma and this time it's from Joe Oko, who was very kind to get in touch with us on social media, and he asks, is it a good idea to send a reminder message about a pitch previously sent by email by tagging editors on Twitter? Ooh. I think we're both going to go, no. No. <laughs> Stay away. No. Don't no. at the editors. I can't think of anything worse to do. <laughs> Has that crossed the line from no longer persistent but annoying? <laughs> well, it's publicly shaming them, isn't it? I mean, no, just no. Just send them an email. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe I'm not. I don't want to speak for Joe here, but it seems his frustration may be that you know that just sending an email means you're just sending them another thing that they can. Ignore. Yeah, I mean, it's probably what we should say at this point is it's very, very normal to not hear back from editors on pitching. That happens to Lily and I, and we're kind of really experienced. And it happens to us with editors that we work with all the time. All so, the time. Yeah, all the time. So they do they do expect you to kind of send a few. I would say if you're sending something to an editor, it's a cold pitch for the first time. Chasing about three times is about right, if you've not heard anything before moving on and trying pitching that to someone else. But it is perfectly normal to chase. Um, I mean, Lily, you've got examples of chasing, like, five times before they've gone yes we'll take all these ideas yeah this always happens to me um that i'll send a list of ideas to one editor that regularly commissions me and they i don't hear anything and i chase and i chase and i chase and then i think oh they don't they don't like any of them i get ready to start pitching elsewhere and then suddenly they get back to me and say yeah we'll take all five when can you do them by and it yeah and it's a nightmare um but it's How hard. long do you leave between each chase? Um, are we talking a couple of days, a week? It, it depends if it's timely or not. I mean, most of the stuff I do is evergreen or not not massively timely. I probably would leave... I would If it, it was a new editor that I was pitching to, I'd leave it a week. If it's one that I know quite well and I know they need a bit of a nudge, um, I might just leave it three or four days. One trick you can try as well is 
to chase them at different times of day to try and work out when they're most responsive. So it might be first thing in the morning, it might be eight o'clock in the morning, or it might be towards the end of the day, like half three, four. That might be the time when they're sitting down and responding to things. So try chasing at different times, um, different days of the week as well. Um, but, you know, also be ready to move on. If, if you've chased three times and you've not heard anything, take it somewhere else. And would you, um, in your follow-up email, like when you're chasing them, would you sort of say, you know, oh, I sent you an email last week uh, but didn't get a reply, so here I am again? Or would you just sort of what start do afresh? What I do is I would say I'm just following up on my email from last week. Um, in case you've got it, it's been lost in your inbox, here's the pitch again. And I copy and paste it and put it in again. Again, it's about making it as easy as possible. Don't expect them to go hunting around for your previous email. Just put in a, like, a few words, like to say that this is like a follow-up on previous email. Here's the pitch again. And then put it in again so it's there in front of them. And if it is something that's really timely and so needs, like you need an answer because the opportunity to do that story is going to pass, then you know send a follow-up and say... Um, I just wanted to double check if you'd seen this and if there was any interest because um, because of the timely nature. If I don't hear from you, I you know I'm going to pitch elsewhere. Kind of email politely because you know it, you kind of want to make the point that if you're going to want this story, you, you need to pay attention to it now because otherwise there's no point. Yeah, you can give them deadlines. It's fine to say if I don't hear back from you within you know 48 hours, I'll I'll take this pitch somewhere else. Um, and that's fine it's about and again it's just about making it concise and scannable with any of this kind of you know communication make it as easy as possible what tips would you have for that how can you make it sort of as impactful as possible at, at first um, sight? I think your email subject heading you need to have a think about what you're putting in that so again if I'm following up I will put in capital letters follow up <laughs> colon <laughs> and then I'll put in <laughs> the headline of the the pitch again um and yeah and again it's just about being succinct okay so that's our uh, advice section of this dual cast over and in a moment we're going to talk about a new work experience initiative which could help you gain some valuable insight into a journalistic career gain some new skills but first of all, it's time to see how our guests' CVs are looking as we play. Play your CV right! Yes, Ollie, thank you for that introduction. Uh, every week here on Jobs Board, we like to scan the CVs of our guests. So irrespective of whether you use a Jobs Board, CV, database, recruiter, or apply to a company directly, it's highly likely that for big places that your CV will be analysed by a machine before it gets human eyes set upon them. So even then, it may only reach a person if the system uh, deems it good enough and a match to their search. So these machines are often called applicant tracking systems or ATS short. And it makes lives easier for the hiring managers, but potentially a lot harder for us mere mortals. So the Jobs Board machine scores you against more than 50 checks and it gets you a score out of 100. And you can always see our leaderboard updated on our Twitter at Jobs Board. So a quick recap before we subject Lily's and Emma's CV that they've kindly sent to us. 
here's a quick recap of where our leaderboard is. We have we have decided to throw ourselves off after Bryony reached the top. Yes, after reaching the top, I thought I would gracefully bow down and take myself off the leaderboard. We, Brian and I reached the top and had to stop. So uh, on first place is Sammy on with 77 points. Second place is Ollie Roberts on 75. Third place is Ayush with 70. Bear is on fourth place with 66. And bringing up the rear is Ollie Smith in fifth place with 60 points. So Lily and Emma... How do you think your CVs will fare and where do you think you'll end up on our leaderboard? Oh, I've been dreading this. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea. I can't even remember. I'm trying to think the last time I will have formally sent my CV to apply for a job because I've been freelance for so long. I've been freelance since 2006. So even though I have used my CV in that time for kind of, you know, you know, if I'm kind of reaching out to a new editor, that kind of thing, in terms of formally applying, yeah. So I've got no. This is going to be very strange for me. I yeah, I've got no idea about kind of how that would work because I'm usually targeting it, targeting it to an individual, and um, we've had discussion. So, mm. well, I know that um, you both have sort of tailored your CVs specifically for this. Maybe the reasons you just said. Um, what what uh, what kind of adjustments have you made or? How have you tried to sort of second I, guess? I haven't. I just updated it. it That's all I did. Um, I didn't. I mean, I, I, I basically I have a CV for various different things, but whatever it is, I always um, have a new one. So I change it for every single thing. So so there might be freelance work that I apply for um, where I need a CV, but I will tailor it to that one application. And it, to be honest, it's more informal. It's like Emma says, it's like an editor wants to see your, your CV, but I will always tailor it. So all I did when I, I looked at this was I just updated it. Um, there are a couple of things that weren't on there that I thought perhaps should be, although in retrospect, I don't think our two books, um, my, I'm sorry, my two books, one with Emma is on, are on there. Um, so yeah, I I only I updated it, but mine is yeah. Oh god, no! I'm just dreading this. <laughs> I'm dreading this because <laughs> I did a long I did a long Twitter thread about what people should have on their CVs after I'd looked at those seventy odd CVs, and it picked up quite a lot of traction. So if my CV does badly, <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna go and hide in the corner. I mean, I did I did have yeah. a look at. The formatting of mine kind of made sure that, like, you know, there weren't any columns. I kind of tried to make it as simple to... I was trying to think of if I, yeah, was a machine, how I would read this. Um, well, as we know, machines hate columns. Yeah, so I, I did have some columns. I took that out. Um, I did... Um, the other thing that I, I don't actually know, because I have lots and lots of URLs in there, but they're all embedded, like, is it on words? Because that, that reads nicely, but I don't know how a machine looks at that. So Yeah, me too. Oh, this is going to be very interesting. So we'll go with Lily's first. So uh, just a quick recap on how um, these machines read them is what they do is they convert every single line. So whether you've got two, three, four, five columns, pictures, whatever we agree with graphics on there, it will all convert that all onto text onto one line. Um, so it often means that if you've got two or three columns that you may, that the machine thinks you've, you've concocted this really jumbled up sentence. Whereas if, it, if you're a human and you're looking at it, all very prettily, um, it will look very different. Uh, so we'll pop Lily's in first and we'll see. So 
Lily, out of 100, your CV has scored 68. So Ooh. it means that you're fourth place on our leaderboard. Okay. Right. It's, it's not. Yeah, could have been worse. Could have been worse. I could. Yeah, could have been worse. You could. You could be Ollie Smith. So, you know. So, um, Eddie <laughs> does really like that your CV has been updated recently. Uh, bits of software will look at how um, regularly. Uh, sorry, how when was the last time that this document was uh, modified? Um, because old CVs tend to get deprioritized in machines, so it likes that. It also loves that how it's got your full name and CV as the title of the document itself. Also likes that you've got no more than two pages and that you've got a good amount of words on there. Um, it recommends, uh, well, this bit of software recommends that you should have between 350 and 800 words in your CV document. It likes how you've got your profile and very rarely, um, it doesn't tend to pick up on these, but um, on the actual profile on the document, but it likes yours and it can find it on yours. So a big congrats there. <laughs> Um, and it also can find your job titles. So a couple of areas to possibly improve on for a robot that is possibly not the most cleverest of all things is um, it doesn't it's struggling to detect your um, some of your title headings which aren't standardized. So for example, on your CV you've got the title selection of cuttings instead mm -hmm. of possibly what would be regularly on a CV as, job history or employment or something like that. Largely, um, it can't seem to find and analyze your education on here. So yeah, has... I knew that would come up. And exactly. So and unfortunately, on this as a result, um, because it, it isn't on there, it's marked you down on another on a broad range of elements such as not finding your grades and that you've not analyzed. Does it recognize the fact I've got my PhD on there? Um, it doesn't actually bring it up <laughs> on there so um i think possibly one thing but this is the whole thing of obviously your phd is useful but the to the people that you're probably sending this off it's not so much as a like the the most important element of this so it's like what, how much real estate on your on your cv do you give it um i'll, I'll obviously give you a uh, a pdf document of all of this feedback um, <laughs> well, another thing that it does pick up on but i think it's because of the style what you just said of your cv is it's more links based is it's um not really picking up many personal descriptors and act action words of yourself mm -hmm. um and the uh, another thing that it does pick up on is um there's possibly a bit too much white space but that's because most of them are um obviously your cv is like your heading of the um, article title and then it linked so that's possibly one thing to look at. Um, but obviously, it's a machine that uh, <laughs> that it's not no necessarily that you're going to 100% agree with. So what do you think to those comments? Um, I knew the education would come up because I, I talked about um, that to Emma before we came on. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, nobody cares what my A-level and GCSE results are. That's why I don't put them on CVs. But I can understand if you're starting out, I mean, you probably need to have your English and maths on there. Um, whereas for me, my cuttings are actually the most important thing. Um, so that's why I have my cuttings at the top. Um, so, yeah, I can understand why it's done that, but I, I, I completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't be changing it. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it, it's interesting. It is interesting. And I think if I was, was applying for a job, um, 
I would I would probably change it. But at the moment, for what I use it for, um, I find it's effective. And to be honest, I don't think I'm ever going to be applying for a job anyway because I'm quite happy being freelance. Yeah, I suspect my issues are probably going to be very similar to Lily's because I think there's probably a way, there's a reason why we kind of put our CVs together in the way we have. Right, so a quick a quick recap. So Lily is currently on 68, uh, currently at fourth place. So Emma, where do you think, do you think you'll be higher or lower? She'll be higher. Um, I don't know. I mean, those like the education, those things that we, you've kind of already highlighted, and I was worried about hyperlinks as well. Like, if that's actually gonna, because I think that's quite useful to a human individual, but is a robot just gonna go? I don't know. Uh, so uh, yeah, I I think it probably be quite similar. Right. Well, we'll pop it in. So, drum roll, please. <laughs> so <laughs> Emma's CV got sixty two. So. Oh! Oh! sixth place on our leaderboard which is below lily well someone's got to be tell me then what did it like uh well we'll we'll start we'll start with the start with the good points positives first um so you had similar positives to uh lily's such a good file size um age of the document name of the document unlike lily's it is happy with the white space to text ratio on your uh, cv um, it believes it's highly readable with a low amount of glue words, such as on, the, in, of, what, um, and that it, it doesn't take um, a century to read your CV um, and it's a good time. So a couple of improvements. It believes you've got more than four different font sizes and more than four different font colours on your CV. And now looking at this, I think it's probably because of it the colour of your hyperlink. Yeah, yes. So this is quite... R- uh, one thing that um, we have this discussion on that uh, particular things on sizes, it thinks that um, it counts those as two different fonts, where it's actually, I think this is what I've come to the conclusion, even though it may be the same Helvetica, even whether you made it bigger or, and sometimes bold, I think that sometimes it it thinks it's a completely different font. So uh, I think uh, Emma's gonna quibble that in the, uh, uh, possibly get it to uh, get it remarked. Um, I mean, I think we can probably just say (laughs) that machines are stupid. Yeah. I think we can actually, yeah, we can draw that conclusion, but they are unfortunately necessary. We need to, we need to work out the formula so to outsmart This is true. I mean, if it's just changing some fonts, that's quite a simple thing to do, isn't it? So, but um, broadly on the CV Emma, which it had the most issue with, is almost what um, Lily CV had issue with with their education. It's for some reason struggling to find your jobs. So as a result, it's penalising for not only not finding your job title, but also the company name. And oh, I did wonder about that because, um, because I had the jobs, I had like an about me and then the jobs under that kind of in a, and I wondered if it might struggle to find yeah. them. Um, I mean, the other thing is, because I've been freelance now since 2006, like there are jobs on there but it's kind of a list of publications that I've worked for. So maybe that's kind of not in its formula. Yeah, you've not had a job for 14 years. They've got a massive list of publications that I've worked for as a freelance journalist. But if it's just looking for a list of jobs and job titles, I mean, there are four on there, but it obviously didn't find them. But I think, you know, it's safe to say I'm never going to apply for a job, so... 
<laughs> I'm institutionalized as working for myself now. I don't think I could cope with working for an organization. So on that subject, actually, yeah, is that is that how you kind of feel I about freelancing? <clears throat> Excuse me, voice gone. I love I love freelancing. I would never go back. I mean, I have a part time job. I'm an associate lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University. That's kind of like a zero hours kind of contract. But I'd never, I would never go back to working for one organization. And I get offers all the time for the the people that I freelance for. You know, we're hiring an editor. Can you come do this? No, because it, I just love the variety and being in charge of, you know, what I do and how I manage my, my time and my life. And I don't think I could you ever like, go You back. like the autonomy. Yeah. Lily, is that how you feel? <clears throat> Sorry. Sounds yeah, definitely. emotional, but actually we're just losing my Yeah, it's um, cracking up here, guys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I left a full-time job um, that was very well paid <laughs> to go into freelancing um, and a lot of uncertainty um, because I just didn't like the kind of pressure of being in a job and I wanted to be able to do my own thing I wanted my own flexibility um, and I wanted to be doing things that were interesting that interested me um, and you know this whole freelancing for journalists that you know we've been doing a lot on this year we wouldn't be able to do any of that um, if we were in jobs so I can't see myself going back in fact I've just given up some shift work some regular shift work because I just I just couldn't stand working for someone else again it just it just ah, you know (laughs) I just just being in that kind of strict you know you do you work you start work at this time you end at this time you get a lunch hour at this time it just doesn't work for me anymore I just that's not how I operate um so I'm yeah I'm a free spirit yeah, I was going to say, we're painting this kind of quite hippie picture of ourselves as free spirits. I can't <laughs> you know, it's not that we're actually at our desk, you know, more than eight hours every day working really hard. <laughs> but it's just that we need to do that. It's just we can go for a, you know, two-hour run in the middle of the day if we feel like it. And we do. Nice. Well, it's time to look at some alternate careers for you two. Uh, if you ever get fed up with freelancing, feel like a change. So we do this every week on the podcast and we're looking for possible uh, non-journalism career paths that our guests could consider taking and we're going to ask them to choose one of them. So this week we've got two guests on and we've got four jobs. Uh, you mentioned running, Lily. So I tried to find a position which uh, incorporated running. Struggle, I'm going to be honest with you, but I did find a shift runner position with a well-known pizza company. (laughs) So um, as a full-time crew member, you will be passionate about customer service, quality, um, and driving, it says, because you'll be delivering the pizzas. Um, They're looking for someone who um, could be an in-store team member, the benefits include free uniform, um, discount on products, um, a food allowance. So do you, do you like pizza, Lily? Um, the, the problem with me is that I don't eat dairy. So unless it's a vegan oh. pizza, uh. which you do get. So, yeah, it might not be the best. Oh, no. I've oh, it here. Um, so, yeah, moving swiftly on, I think. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I'll pitch this uh, towards Emma. Um, okay. So, uh, are you feeling particularly in the festive spirit? Um, 
I do like I do get into the Christmas spirit, but I'm not one I'm not one of those people who kind of puts the tree up in September. Okay, that's fair. We could, we could, we've probably got some scope here to uh, work with. So uh, I was just thinking it's coming up to Christmas. You might be thinking, oh, I want to dress up. Uh, so I-, I found a job as a Christmas elf. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can be, take part in the magical experience for our visitors. Uh, it's a pre-booked experience. So I'm guessing you'll be all masked up. Um, and then you'll be helping people <laughs> for up to one hour enjoy these sessions. Um, and the, <laughs> Father Christmas land. I just imagine I just imagined an elf in I mean, a face. As mask. a journalist, I'm immediately thinking, yeah, I'll take this gig and then I'll sell stories when it all goes completely wrong. Because all those kind of Christmas winterland things in a field, they never work out. Like people sell the tickets and then they're just irate because, you know, it's not what was promised. It's like one kind of sad looking Santa in a field somewhere. I'm I'm right enjoying this it. undercover so, story that you've got that you might have here as a scoop. Yeah, I take that as a potential for, yeah, a good Christmas scoop. Okay, so Lily, you don't eat dairy. <laughs> do, you, um, do you like seafood? I do, actually. I do. Do you? What, what's your favourite seafood? Ooh. Um, oh. Oh, what's my favourite seafood? Uh, I'll narrow it down for you. Do you like oysters? Mm, I'm not... <laughs> They're probably my least favourite. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> when we've not picked good ones for Lily, we're going to have to pick another one. Um, well, I've got here. <laughs> it just says we're looking for a talented oyster to, oyster shucker to join the team at this century-old oyster bar. Wow. And previous oyster shucking experience is an asset, but it doesn't say that it's necessary. Right. Not yeah. sounding convinced. No. I don't think you're convinced no, either. No, no, I'm not. I think I'd, I'd prefer the pizza job. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I'd rather. <laughs> it's down the um, food route. The thing is, I'm not really a theatrical person. Um, so being put on display and eating publicly, yeah, sounds like a bit of a weird dream or something. Um. Yeah. In that case, I'm going to give you a third job because okay. I feel we've not found it yet for you. <laughs> you might not like being on display, but would you like to quietly and unassumingly make the world a better place? I think we all would, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think we all would. So I've got a job here uh, as a floating island builder. Ooh. And this is a company that makes, as I said, floating islands. So floating ecosystems to be sort of let loose on the sea and create a habitat for marine life and improve water quality in various places. Mm. And you would be sort of creating these and, and well, building them, really. And there's a few, you know, I mean, physically fit and able. You're a runner, so that's yeah. one tick. Um hardworking, positive attitude, good team player. These are all things journalists can do. Yeah. The other thing is I do open water swimming as well. So, oh, there you go. This so this does sound right up my street. I can imagine you doing that. Yeah. Swimming with the fishies. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think out of the three. Um, okay. In fact, out of all of them. Um, that Yeah, that definitely sounds like a winner. 
Nice. And get my wetsuit out for that one. Lovely, yeah. And um, Bryony, I think you've got one more for Emma. Yeah, Emma, I've got another one for you. I'm assuming you've heard of the um, well-known fictional butler, Alfred. Yes. <laughs> well, how do you fancy becoming your own living butler? There, there's, there's, there's a house in um, London. They're looking for a butler. Um, they've got two, <laughs> two children. Um, they've got a they've got a team, a house manager, a chef, nannies, drivers, housekeepers, and they'd like to add a butler to their collection. <laughs> and um, you will be doing um, meal times, mostly buffet service. Not really sure how that works during coronavirus, but um, buffet in a in a family home, <laughs> family home, um, <laughs> clearing away and assisting the chef, keeping the kitchen clean and tidy, some housekeeping, greeting guests, packing, unpacking suitcases. Uh, sounds more like a hotel than a than a family home but um it's uh six days a week you get to live in as well accommodation provided and there's also some family uh travel overseas in the school holidays so you might get an opportunity to go abroad okay i'm gonna say a big fat gigantic huge could not be bigger no (laughs) nightmare I already have to do all that stuff and it's and making meals and oh man, I, I'm the one who wants staff. I need staff. I don't need to be that staff. So yeah, I am I'm definitely gonna go for the Christmas elf and I'm gonna get myself a big exclusive in the Daily Mail when it all goes wrong. <laughs> well, my job suggestions were terrible this week, weren't they? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> So if uh, you're feeling tempted by any of those jobs, but you don't feel you might have enough experience, Lily and Emma might have the, a really good initiative to help spruce up your work experience opportunities. So uh, Lily, this seems to be uh, your brainchild. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so we've launched the Journalism Work Experience Initiative and we are hooking up students and graduates with freelance journalists for remote work experience so if you would like to learn from an experienced journalist um, how the world of freelancing works but also um, more generally um, improve your journalism skills and get one-to-one feedback then you can sign up for our scheme Um, you need to attend a briefing session which is running next Friday Um, and after the briefing session you'll get access to a database of more than 50 work experience opportunities. Wow sounds amazing. Yeah it it does sound impressive now we've uh, (laughs) we've put it all together. I sort of came up with this idea uh, probably less than a month ago and um, just been working on building up the database um, and we've got loads of different people, um, you know, from I think all... people that you've worked with previously or come across or you just sort of reached out online. Yeah. So we obviously we've got our own Facebook group that's got almost 2000 members. Um, so a lot of them have come through there, but also um, people we've had on our podcast in the past um, and putting general calls out on social media. Um, and we've got people from all over the world. I mean, it's mainly the UK, but we've got people in Israel, Dubai, Australia, France, Netherlands, wow. America. Wow. Um, so, yeah, there's some really interesting opportunities. We've got everything from an agricultural journalist to real life, um, disability sports, 
um, financial journalism, podcasting, um, every, you know, every kind of walk of life, really, when it comes to journalism. So, yeah, it's a really good list of people um, who've all agreed to take at least one person on for work experience. So if people want to find out more, um, the best thing is probably to um, Google freelancing for journalists or freelancer for journalists and ticket tailor. Um, and we've got details there of how to register for the scheme. If you can't make the briefing, you can still um, register and then we'll send you a video recording afterwards. Wow, that is a brilliant initiative, I think. And it's what both our podcasts are all about, about helping each other out during these difficult times. And yeah, sort of coming together to give each other as, as many opportunities as possible. So yeah. Make sure you follow Freelancing for Journalists for that. Okay, I think that's all we've got time for on this special episode of Jobs Board and Freelancing for Journalists. If you're listening to Freelancing for Journalists, why not give us a follow on Twitter at Jobs Board and listen to our podcast as well. We've got previous episodes uh, that we've done just on our own, which are also good. Um, and... Yeah, likewise, uh, listeners of Jobs Board, make sure you check out the Freelancing for Journalists podcast. It's full of really, really good tips. Uh, and Lily and Emma both do great work, sort of not just on a podcast, but on social media, in book form, in seminar form. And they've got a lot of content out there to help you try and find some shifts. Yeah, you can find everything about us and all those different bits at um, freelancingforjournalists.com. Good luck with the freelancing campaign. And yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.